0: January 6th is in the news again, but in the theme of Paul Harvey. Now, the rest of the story. The grid, a digital frontier. I pictured patriots as they moved throughout our country. Do they look like individuals or small business? Were the rallies like church? I keep dreaming of a world I hope to one day see. And then, today, I got in. Hello, fellow Americans. This is Chris Coleman, your host with the Kingdom Patriot Group. Welcome to The Grid, where faith, politics, and commerce intersect. I know, I know, you are busy doing life and being a responsible citizen. But we need you. America needs you. You have to get involved. Go to KingdomPatriot.us and sign up for our free email alerts. That way we can keep you informed so you can inform others. That's KingdomPatriot.us. Join the fight for faith and freedom. Welcome to this week's News in Review. Well, it just wouldn't be a complete news drop without our Twitter segment. So Musk tweeted that Twitter would follow the science, which when I first heard this, I was quite alarmed until I actually saw the commentary. In essence, Musk was saying that questioning science is actually part of the scientific process. And for example, if you try to shut down all criticism and questioning of someone, let's say, Lord Fauci, well, you're not really a legitimate scientist at all. Well, this to me makes total sense. And speaking of Fauci, Elon Musk signaled that an incoming installment of the Twitter files could focus on Dr. Anthony Fauci. And if that happens, I think the public will finally understand the agenda-driven politician that he really is. In the political segment, it looks like Rona McDaniel has a good shot at winning another term as the RNC chair. Well, that sounds great. Three underwhelming, underperforming elections. And what do we do? More cowbells, more of the same. She sounds well liked and appreciated by our colleagues, but others have really questioned her decisions in regard to consultants and other folks that they've used in the elections. You know, at some point, you have to be judged by measurable results. And I think the results have been very disappointing. And speaking of underwhelming choices, the Republicans are voting on January 3rd on who the next Speaker of the House will be. Now, Kevin McCarthy is the leading choice, but there are nine Republicans who are causing a stir as they might withhold their support. Now, I get it. He's more of a rhino than really a conservative constitutional ideologue. But folks, he's infinitely better than any choice the Democrats can put forth. And if the Republicans don't unite and we end up with a Democratic Speaker of the House, while holding a slight majority, then every single Republican should be fired on the spot. Now, in cultural news, all we hear is that the U.S. should be more like Europe. Europe is much more liberal and the U.S. has way too many conservative old fogies who just get in the way of progress. Europe is the panacea. I don't know how many times I hear that we should be more like Switzerland and culture and tax policy, etc. Well, for once, I agree. It turns out that Switzerland has had a revelatory scientific breakthrough, and that breakthrough has penetrated their government. According to the Swiss Federation Council, sex is actually binary. In a new ruling, the council said that on any federal documents, when it comes to gender, there will be two options, male and female. Folks, you gotta hand it to those Swiss. They figured out what apparently half of the United States has not. And finally, if you love college football, wow, what a playoff. Probably the best two games on a college football playoff weekend that you will ever see. In two games, there was a total of 179 points scored, and only seven points separated the winners from the losers. Georgia beat Ohio State 42-41, to and TCU topped Michigan 51-45. to The Georgia game in particular went right to midnight on New Year's Eve, and was much preferable to the woke mainstream TV stations and their annual ball drop. For this week's news and review, that's a wrap. Fellow patriots and Americans, I am so glad to be here today to talk to you with my friends. Happy New Year and welcome 2023. Bring it on. Clay, Sean, I am so glad that you're here today.
1: Yes, I'm so excited for 2023 and what it's going to bring, the opportunities God has for us, and all the great things God wants us to
2: accomplish. Yep, I am very glad that we're going to get a chance to tackle this subject today. It's sorely needed, and it should be behind us, but guess what? It's not, so let's hit it. I agree, Sean. I
0: mean, gentlemen, I cannot believe that it's two year later, and we're still talking about January the 6th, 2021. And it's not because we won't let it go. It's not because Clay or you, Sean, you won't let it go. It's because these sham committee meetings and this committee members won't let it go. In fact, you guys may have seen in the past two weeks, the committee issued a referral to the Department of Justice for indictment of President Trump. I feel a duty, I'm sure you feel a duty, that we must report this story, both in its entirety and in its truthfulness. What do you guys think?
2: Amen. Yes.
0: So today, we're gonna talk about a little bit of the rest of the story, the untold stories behind January 6th, including some of the repercussions and fallout. And we're not gonna spend time focusing on all the things that necessarily happened that day. I think we've covered that pretty extensively. And contrary to the media, that they focus on these trumped up narratives and soundbites, we actually interviewed two people, if you remember, a year ago. In fact, Clay, You were one of those, and we appreciate that interview, you and uh, Elliot. And we got to hear firsthand, with boots on the ground, what January 6th was really like. So if you're in our audience right now and you actually haven't heard that podcast, go back and look about a year ago, and you'll see that we talked extensively about January the 6th. Okay, so anyway, that's out of the way. Now to today's story. We are going to talk about context today. And why? Because context matters. Okay, gentlemen, context number one, most of the reports that you find when you look this information up is that the government, let's say the government, expected about 20,000 people to show up on January the 6th, and yet the most conservative numbers estimate that that was at a minimum 120,000, but I'm not going to take those numbers as, as gold and as truth. Clay, you were there, and I remember you saying there could have been a lot more. What do you remember the number of participants looking like. All right. So
1: I've been to a football game before, a big football game, you know, 80,000 plus people. I know what that looks like. There was bare minimal around a million people. Uh, You know how Brazil lately has been in, well, some people don't know about it, but there's been millions of protests there's going on in Brazil, but they haven't been reporting that in America. That was the same thing that happened here on uh, January 6 2021.
0: So if that's true, and again, you were there, why have we not heard that? In fact, to this day, official numbers have not been released by the FBI or the Secret Service. Sean, why is
2: that? My guess is plausible deniability. The real answer is we've got a corrupt, tyrannical Department of Justice. Don't get me started.
0: Oh, I plan on getting you started. So if we're talking, let's just say Let's say, Clay, that you're close, that it's a million people, and that's how many were there. But yet, Sean, how many people are being claimed to be actual the insurrectionists? How many people are we really talking about that have been targeted, quote-unquote, for criminal activity?
2: 964. Not. That's the number that I have seen in my research between the reports from the Department of Justice and then various minor articles from very well-known periodicals.
0: So that's important because, Clay, I think you're going to talk about later that maybe that 964 itself is not even a legitimate number. Is that correct? That is correct. So when we get to that, but let's just assume for the moment that it is a correct number. We're still talking about 964 people out of 1 million. Guys, do you realize that's one-tenth of 1% of the people the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of peaceful assemblers. Just let that sink in. That means less than one out of every hundred people who are claimed to be involved in this, involved in the, I should say, the storming of the Capitol, which again, we're going to talk about a little bit later. But I'm just going to go out and a limb and say this. It's claimed that this is an insurrection. It's claimed that these people attempted to overthrow the Capitol. Now, If a million people were trying to overthrow the Capitol, I'm pretty sure that would have happened in relative ease. There's nothing that could have stopped this. But if 900 people could actually overthrow the federal government, I would ask the question, exactly how fragile is our government? Here's the point I'm trying to make, and this is in context. The entire media narrative, the entire January 6th committee, it's all centered around 964 people. I think to create a distraction to ignore... The other 999,000 people who were there because they just love our country and wanted to celebrate freedom. So that's why I think as we talk about this, context matters. And the context number two. Okay, Clay, so here we are in the second context, and this one to me is pretty big. How many people have been charged with criminal activity due to January 6th? Well, I think Sean just answered that, right? We think somewhere around 964. But here's the big question, how many people of those 964 still remain incarcerated and still are awaiting trial? Do you know? I don't I don't think that anybody really knows for sure. I think that's exactly right. I don't know. You don't know, Sean, do
2: you know? Well, Chris, according to Yahoo News insider dated October 3rd of this year, we can infer that there are a minimum of 34 folks incarcerated waiting trial because they signed a petition to be moved to Guantanamo Bay due to jail conditions in DC.
0: Okay, that's a little bit scary that these folks viewed Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, as having better conditions than the District of Columbia. Let that sink in for a moment. Yeah. At the end of the day, we know that people have not had their cases fully adjudicated. In fact, less than half have completely gone through the process. What's challenging to me is if if you read the DOJ's report or you read the Hill or read the Fox News, you do get numbers all over the place. We really don't know how many people are still incarcerated and how many people are still waiting trial and exactly who those folks are.
2: Sean. Correct. Does this feel right to you? No, it doesn't. And what irritates me about the DOJ report that we reviewed yesterday and today is that most of their numbers begin with the term approximately. That's pretty interesting.
0: The last name I checked, a human being, is a human being. That would be one. Pretty easy to count, I think.
2: Yeah. Not only that, but you also have these cases on computer. They should be able to very, very quickly and succinctly spit out a report telling you how you know where people are in the process.
0: So I think this is really, really important. Later in the podcast, we're going to touch on these issues and whether or not it's right. Whether, what is the constitutionality of having people incarcerated for significant lengths of time and yet have not been officially charged and gone to trial? But first, we're going to go to context number three when we return.
1: My dad always says that freedom is not passed on through DNA, but rather it must be fought for and protected by every generation. That is why it is never too early to be involved in faith, politics, and commerce. I'm only 14 years old, and I'm already a Kingdom Patriot. You should be too. Join the fight for faith and freedom. Go to KingdomPatriot.us today.
0: Okay, switching back from our break where we were talking about oregano, basil, and turmeric, we're actually going to get back to the podcast. And Clay, this brings me to context number three. The narrative is that January 6th, this was labeled as an insurrection. It was caused by devoted ultra-maga, radical Republicans who will violate the law for their own ends. However, we have evidence that there might have been something deeper. It reminds me of what Rahm Emanuel once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Clay, what role did plants, subversive actors, media, covert Democrat operatives, what role did they play in the incitement of January the sixth.
1: Well, let's let's go back for context just for a second. Uh, remember, Mr. Joe Biden, who uh, did, ran his election through the basement. Uh, I don't need your vote, Mr. Joe Biden, and so that's what these people were here to protest because of it was so clear that there was some something weird going on. Now, also in the context, we also had. Black Lives Matter and Antifa rioting before this time, right? So Antifa was real big at this point. Antifa had threatened and promised to show up at the January 6th meeting. They promised, and we were told that they were going to dress like Trump supporters and cause problems. So you have the Antifa groups, and then we even have them on video of that day saying, We just got back and caused problems, and I'm going to in the hotel, and I'm going to go back and cause more this was all recorded. And then on top of that, we even now, just like within the last two weeks, somehow there's been a video of Nancy Pelosi's uh, staffers talking to her. Nancy Pelosi is saying, I can't wait for this. We've been waiting for trespassing. Now in the context, first, you might not realize that Nancy Pelosi is a Speaker of the House. She's the one responsible for all security in the White House, Capitol, all this area. Trump as the president asked her to uh, use National Guard just to ensure because there were so many people going to come, she refused. So we have her on video saying she can't wait for this to get them on trespassing on the Capitol grounds. This was premeditated and planned. Also, at all the other contexts of all the other shady dealings we're finding out about stuff on Twitter, about FBI and the Hunter Biden. And yes, there was definitely some bad government actors in this causing uh, a peaceful protest to look like an insurrection. Also, these people that have been in jail, for the most part, they're only misdemeanors. They're misdemeanors, right? So they should either have a fine or community service, but yet they're held as terrorists. So that should tell you we're in a really, really, really bad state in our country We just need to open our eyes and realize where we're at. And we need to actually start getting righteously angry and say no more and demand that our senators and congressmen get these people out of jail. That's the first start. But to also demand election integrity because that's what this was all about. It wasn't about insurrection, it was about election integrity. Obviously, our system is compromised.
0: So I think that's really important because that certainly doesn't fit the narrative that this was a spontaneous event that Trump started. Since then, it appears that there may have been fallout from this. Sean, based on the subversive manipulation that Clay is speaking to, has there been fallout?
2: There's been lots of fallout. I can give you a smidgen of it. It's the stuff that rises to the top, and there's a lot of stuff that hasn't risen to the top. But for instance, there are four dead people. We have three suicides, one, a detainee named Matt Perna, and then there were two police officers, one Metropolitan police officer and one Capitol police officer. They died by suicide the next week. What's up with that? And then there was an attempted suicide, which unfortunately triggered a DUI murder. The gentleman who attempted suicide was drunk at the time. His attempt at suicide failed But unfortunately, it caused a wreck and a fiery crash for someone who died. Further fallout, lost jobs, lost friends, lost families. Approximately 470 detainees have pled guilty to a variety of federal charges. Many of them did so because the attorneys supplied to them were all Democrats with zero intention of defending them. That's fallout.
0: You know, one fallout, Sean, that I think we haven't talked about that is equally important is the fallout of the Constitution, particularly individual liberty. And that actually brings me to context number four. The Sixth Amendment guarantees U.S. citizens the right to a speedy trial, and the Fourteenth Amendment guarantees the right of due process. Sean, in your estimation, have these two amendments in the U.S. Constitution been followed now that it's been almost two full years since January the 6th, and yet people are still incarcerated?
2: Absolutely not. Total tyranny.
0: In fact, I absolutely love, I encourage our audience to read this book by Clarence Thomas called Creative Equal, if you get a chance. It's great insight to his thought process. Certainly just a freedom-loving American. And he makes a comment in the book, you can't solve bad racism with good racism. Now he was speaking about affirmative action, But his point was is that racism is racism. And I think this viewpoint really applies here. Law enforcement said that the January 6th protesters were violating the Constitution by trying to prevent the peaceful transfer of power by inciting an insurrection. But if I understand what we've talked about correctly, the way the government decided to solve this problem is to violate the Sixth Amendment and the 14th Amendment directly against US citizens. Has the government just tried to solve one potential criminal act by violating the Constitution and committing another criminal act in the process. Clay, is that how you see it? I see it partly that way.
1: I, I also see it, the fact that they're just making up stories, because it was not an insurrection. So that's that's the narrative that they want to play. It's kind of like a magician. They're doing something with their right hand, and you, you're convinced that that quarter disappeared, but really it's in the other hand so you know they're they're excellent at making you believe something that didn't happen and that's exactly what is going on and they're actually trying a lot of innocent people
0: so actually i think that's a good point clay i one thing i've always accused liberals and democrats of doing is that they have a view that the ends justify the means and i think in this case if they can create the ends if you will of the insurrection then it justifies the means that they took against that. And as a conservative Christian Republican, I don't feel that way. I believe that the process matters. Rights matter. And in this case, the ends is not even real, as you pointed. Finally, we're going to get to context five, and we're going to talk about the committee itself when we come back.
2: From all of us at the Kingdom Patriot Group, Happy New Year. And special thanks and shout out to our subscribers and our members. Thanks for listening to The Grid, and thank you for your support. May God richly bless you and yours in 2023. Happy New Year, America.
0: Okay, and our, our last segment here, our context number five, is is related to the January 6th committee itself. Now, I know it's been disbanded because they've produced its final report, but that's not really important to understand the potential bias that occurred and that's what we want to look at today. So let's look at some of the members of this committee. Chairman's Bernie Thompson, Democrat Mississippi. Zoe Lofgren, Democrat California. Adam Schiff, Democrat California. And by the way, is there anybody who embodies more the lack of integrity and honesty than Adam Schiff? I mean, he and Hillary Clinton compete neck and neck for the award of hey, how do you know they're lying? Are their lips moving? Uh, you have Pete Aguilar, Democrat California, whose own website says he represents the Inland Empire whatever that means, Stephanie Murray, Democrat Florida, Jamie Raskin, Democrat Maryland, Elaine Luria, Democrat Virginia, Liz Cheney, yeah, she's Republican Wyoming, but she stated openly that she will spend her last breath making sure that Trump is never in power again. And then you have Adam Kazinger, Republican of Alaska. So when you look at this committee, it's kind of obvious what was at stake here. It wasn't really a truth-seeking committee. It was a committee that already had their narrative, and then they just went to try to find the pieces of the puzzle that could validate or justify the approach they took. Sean, when you see this list, how confident are you that the narrative truth and justice actually prevailed?
2: This group is anything but truthful. To them, the end justifies the means, and that's their version of justice. This is a hate mob.
0: Certainly. uh, I think, Clay, you used the word shakedown. If these people on this committee were your jurors, how would you feel about that if you had charges against you, that you would get a fair shake?
1: No, I would get a shake down while I'm throwing up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, certainly I would not feel confident at all. The reason we bring all of these things to you folks is context matters. It matters a lot. So you have the media, the government, the Democrats, they've all espoused this theory, a narrative a belief that they are hell-bent in tying to their very existence. The idea that Trump incited a national insurrection, that he created a constitutional crisis, that thousands are guilty, that people should go to jail, that Trump should go to jail, and that the evidence is overwhelming to the point that justice absolutely will prevail. But when you understand all these contexts, you get kind of a different picture. You have this politically biased committee that's focusing on less than 1% of January 6th attendees, You have the DOJ empowered to hold people without due process or timely adjudication of the charges, and you have an emboldened group of people committed to make sure Trump never sees power again, and then you find out that the government itself may have not even enabled or empowered the actual protests to occur. All of a sudden, you ask yourself, is truth, justice, in the American way really at stake here, or is this a political hack job with the assistance of our censoring friends in social media creating a de facto ministry of truth? Rather than actual truth. Guys, do you agree that the narrative that we've been fed does not even closely resemble the truth?
2: Oh, it's total balderdash. It's like you guys honestly think that we're gonna that we're gonna just sidle up to your dog poo and just woof it down like it's breakfast, lunch, and dinner all in one? Screw you. Forget you. Well said. I agree with what
0: Sean said in a nicer way. You could just take my earlier yes on that. Yeah. Okay, gentlemen, as we think about the faith and political commercial implications of this, is there anything that comes to your mind when you think about how does faith play into this this conversation?
1: Well, as a Christian, it is our responsibility. You know, the Bible says the government will be upon his shoulders Right, So it is our responsibility to resist the darkness as a a Christian and to stand up for righteousness. So we must stand for truth and stand against lies.
0: I know one thing that came to my mind when I was preparing was this whole idea of bearing false witness, because it seemed like throughout this process, it's exactly what we had. We had false witness everywhere to create this narrative. Sean, do you have any thoughts about how our Christian
2: faith plays into this? Well, it all comes back to we the people. As Clay said, the government shall rest upon his shoulders. We have abdicated our position as believers when it comes to the leadership of this country. And we've done so because so many shepherds of the flock have said, stay out of politics. They need to repent because if you look at Scripture— Almost every book, the Lord himself is dealing with one leader after another after another. He's not called the King of Kings and Lord of Lords for nothing. Those are governmental titles. The United States of America has a government whose foundation is we, the people. If we, the people, abdicate, then we get the tyranny that is creeping upon us right now.
1: Going along with that, like you say, the government should be on his shoulders. Well, what's our responsibility? God calls us ambassadors. So that's not a state of passivity. That's a state of bringing the kingdom to our place that we live at, to the government of this world.
2: Well said.
0: So, Clay, what about the political implications of this? I I know that when I think about this whole process, it causes me to shudder a bit. Is there any anything politically that, as you look upon this, causes the hair to stand up on the back of your neck?
1: Well, yeah, they're clearly trying to uh, shut down any potential possibility to have Trump, their perceived threat, eliminated. You know, we'll say eliminated. I'm talking physically. I'm talking like just crushed so that he can't run anymore.
0: I think it actually goes farther than that, Clay. I think they're trying to silence free speech of anyone who doesn't agree with their narrative, which is an anti-biblical, anti-freedom, anti-American worldview. So I want to take a few comments on the commercial perspective because I feel really strongly about this one before we wrap up the podcast today. If we had done this podcast a year ago and talked about commercial perspectives, I think our analysis might have been somewhat limited. However, now that Musk has bought Twitter and we're seeing how government institutions actively, illegally, frequently were putting pressure on Twitter to silence opposition, um, it's really opened my eyes about how commerce and the government, how commerce and political institutions are working in tandem. And I know it's often been said that freedom of speech does not apply to commercial enterprises, and I basically agree with that, um, although we could do an entire podcast on religious freedom of speech, how that doesn't seem to apply, that uh, that you don't get that right in commerce. But anyway, I digress on that. What is fairly accepted is that if a commercial business is a de facto agent of the government, and what that means is it's actually doing the government's bidding, then freedom of speech and the Bill of Rights do apply. Well, you don't think that Twitter and some of these other organizations were doing the work of the government? We learned this week that the FBI reimbursed Twitter $3.5 million for its, quote-unquote, law enforcement-related expenses that Twitter used, quote-unquote, to combat misinformation that the FBI Said needed to be addressed. And as we talk about in the Kingdom Patriot group about faith, politics, and commerce, how they intersect, I think we see more than ever that truth playing out before our very eyes. Any thoughts? Yeah,
1: that $3 million was actually used to pay Twitter employees to censor opposing views. Exactly. So that
0: should tell you where we're at with our government. Clay, that sounds like a future podcast, maybe on uh, the fast track to communism. I'm in on it. So, Sean, Clay, honestly, I would love to quit talking about this story because it's two years old, but our government won't let it go, and people are still in jail awaiting due process. So, we're going to keep setting the record straight. The Ministry of Truth does not have an monopoly on facts and truth. That's why we're going to keep reporting it here, and we're going to keep talking about it. Clay, do you have any closing thoughts?
1: Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41.10
0: Clay, I really appreciate you sharing that scripture, because that scripture is, is a source of encouragement for me, and I think it's a source of encouragement for a lot of our audience. Sean, closing thoughts on today's topic.
2: I think that's a good way forward, and we put that together with scripture that says the faith that works is dead. We've got to trust him. We've got to start praying like we think he's actually going to answer and then get up and move forward like he's going to meet us on the battle lines. We need to vote. It is a shameful and disgraceful number of people that voted in the midterms. Uh, No, we deserve what we get if we don't get up off our duffs and go friggin' vote. Sorry, my rice just got steamed. We have to put faith with actions. We've got to stop being cowards. Do we have something to lose? Yes. But the body of Christ banding together, we take care of each other. We must stand we must make our voices heard. We must collect the courage that we need to stand up and stop being afraid that we're going to lose something. We serve a mighty God. And whatever we lose, he can restore.
0: I love that. In fact, I don't even think I have any closing comments after listening to you to share those scriptures. I think that's just really, really important. And I really thank you, Clay. Thank you, Sean, for joining us today for this very important topic.
2: And now you know the rest of the story.
0: Till next time. Happy New Year and welcome 2023. Visit our website at KingdomPatriot.us to join the movement of faith and freedom. That's KingdomPatriot.us. Join today so that together we can make a difference. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued, your voice is needed.